Hello and welcome back to WA Real. I'm your host, Britt Edwards. WA Real brings you real and authentic stories from fascinating people here in Western Australia. Stories to inspire and guide you to take action to be all you can be. Today, my guest is Tim Brown. Born and bred in Perth, Tim left Perth to go and study electronic and 20th century contemporary classical music at the University of Melbourne at the age of 17. Since then, he's tried to leave Perth a number of times but keeps coming back. Apparently, he began working in bars to pay the bills, but never actually paid off all the bills, so to continue, continue to work in bars. In 1991, he became manager of the iconic Northbridge nightclub Connections with his then partner. Two years later, they bought a half share in the club, and three years later, he bought his former partner out. Tim, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So as I said, you were born and bred in Perth. Um, tell me, what was it like growing up in Perth? Well, I suppose, you know, you grow up where you grow up and you don't know any different. Um, but it was a country town. It really was. Um, and, you know, now that I've got out and seen the world, it must have been a hell of a country town. But it was a great place to grow up. Um, yeah, it was a great childhood. In fact, I didn't spend all my childhood here. My parents were teachers and we travelled around. Um, spent some time in Albany when I was kindergarten age and then in Dalwallanew, which is a tiny town in the Wheat Belt. Um, coming back to Perth when I was about 10, I suppose. Um, so I finished off primary school in Perth and then did high school in Perth and then got out as soon as I possibly could at 17. <laughs> what was that? You wanted to see more? I just wanted to see the world. Um, and I kind of had a feeling that it was kind of small, um, mm. which is its greatest strength and its greatest weakness, that the smallness and the isolation. I think, I think that's as key as the size of Perth it's the fact that it was just so far from anywhere mm. um, well, still is it is <laughs> um, close to I mean it. the world's got a lot uh, has yeah. got a hell of a lot more and actually if you want to get some context on that that is one of the things that's changed that people come to us now and people leave here much more easily it was a big thing to leave Perth you know when I when I went to university in Melbourne which would have been 1980 Maybe about four or five. I'd have to. I'd have to do the maths. Mm. It's a bit too hard. So mid eighties. Um, the flights to Sydney, Melbourne, were so prohibitive that for me to come back, I had to come by train or by bus. Right. So school or university holidays, I'd, uh, the long ones, the summer ones, I'd come back, and I'd come across the Nullarbor by train or by bus. I couldn't afford to fly. Right. So that and that kind of gives you an idea about how far Perth was yeah. from the rest of the world. It was just cut off. Especially if you've got something to train for several days. Yeah, I mean that's a, that's another whole story in itself. You want to hear a story about yeah, <laughs> some of those trips back and forth? Yeah. Yeah. Quite incredible. And then you you left and keep coming back. What? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I went to Melbourne. Melbourne was great. And you know, funnily enough, I um, you know I lived in College Digs, so you know I just lived on university campus. I wasn't really in a big city. Yeah. Because I was the, the uni was out of the centre of centre of Melbourne, I came back um, when I finished university. Did a bit of work. Not sure where I was going. Went travelling again. Come back. Did a bit more work. Went travelling again. Um, just not sure what I was going to do with myself. Um, and then, really, actually, the thing that made me settle was this place, this job. Right. So you've, um, I mean, you made your life and your career and your business out of you know entertainment party nightclub where does that come from in your story I think I always did it um I mean you know the the music thing I mean, you know it, it sounds very grand electronic and 20th century contemporary classical music yeah so when I read it I thought <laughs> yeah truth be told it's kind of a bit of a dead end um I'm sure the people at practice that don't think so but there's probably eight of them in the world um <laughs> you know I think the you know classical music's a pretty esoteric practice at the best of time. Um, I was interested in the music of now. I was very interested in electronics um, and synthesis. You know the yeah. the making of electronic music. Um, my dad was not going to have me playing keyboards in a band um, that I needed to study, and it was university, so. Let's have a look what there is, and there was this course in Melbourne. And it would kind of tick two boxes that I could get away um, and study something that was interesting around that. You know, really, what I should have been doing is um, studying or getting involved in electronic dance music. 
because mm. that was sort of bubbling up at the same time. What I was studying in a very, um, uh, what would you call it, um, formal way was what essentially became sampling, right. which all dance music, most pop music these days, is made of. Yes. It's just that at that age I hadn't quite made the connection. and In fact, the world hadn't really made the connection because that was the beginning of that that thing um, and sampling is is fundamental it's the basis of all the music that's played in nightclubs certainly and huge amounts of what you hear on the radio you know, yeah most most music most music now has at least a sample in it somewhere on the radio but you just don't realize it um, so you know how did I end up doing that there's the music strand of it and I like a party yeah <laughs> you know, and I was you know artistic and creative and this place is more than just music we put on shows we decorate we theme it we you know it's a it's a whole package i love that whole package i hate i love creating that environment you know like i don't make music which is probably one of my biggest regrets that i never really kept that up but i make this thing that is this multifaceted multidisciplinary um artwork yeah. Every, every night you know that's what we do you know there is the music part of it and we're putting DJs into it we might decorate the room there'll be a show on there'll be people in the room you know it's it's like throwing a party you, you, you get all those elements you put them together to create the best party you can and then you pull it all down and you do it all again the next night Superb. Um, yeah, it's wonderful. Like, you know, it, it, it's quite magical. It's hard work. It's really, really hard work. And you know, if you've ever thrown a party, and everyone's thrown a party or so, yeah. you imagine, you know that, that thing when you've done it all and you've got the drinks all set up and you've chosen your music and you've decorated the backyard and everything's there and then you sit on the couch and no one's come yet and you go, oh, shit, I hope I've got some friends. <laughs> I hope they like me. I hope they like what I've done. Um, you know, it kind of feels like that at the beginning of every night. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, that's that's a buzz too. And when it's great, there is nothing more exciting than being in the midst of it, especially if you're DJing. Um, and we can get to DJing after if you like, you know. But, yeah. but there is nothing nothing like the feeling of DJing to a room full of people that are dancing to the music that you're playing now. Excellent. Yeah. So, um, for the listeners, we are actually sitting here in <laughs> Connections Nightclub. Can you give me a brief sort of potted history of the place because it's over 42, 3 years uh, what is it now 1975 so 43 years yes. yeah which is incredible it is um, the nightclub actually so it sits on James Street right in the middle of Northbridge right in the thick of things next door it was for many many years a kebab shop called Plaka now if you've been in Perth for a long time you'll know Plaka because it was the kebab shop that everybody went to. And it was huge. It was 800 square metres. The old Greeks that owned it, you know, came out here with nothing. Uh, had it since, so I'm not quite sure when. They bought the block next door, built a building, and in it they put a nightclub. And in 1969, um, they opened a nightclub called the Top Hat Cabaret. And it was exactly that. It was a cabaret club with chairs and tables and girls in bunny suits, the whole bit. Um, and the other half of Connections, the bit that is the, uh, the new lounge bar, was actually a Greek gambling den. Right. They, in 1975, sold it to a couple of guys, um, Walter Furlong and Dennis Marshall. Dennis Marshall had been a footy player, first for Claremont and then uh, for Geelong in the AFL. Um, come back to Perth, um, had various pubs and clubs all over town. We could go into those another day if you like. Um, but he had a, a really great manager at the time who was an Englishman, gay, who said, there's no gay nightclubs in this town. You need to build a, you need a gay nightclub. So in 1975, Dennis and Walter, who, although he was married at the time, was prob probably gay himself, um, opened Connections Nightclub with James, that Englishman, managing it. Um, and the first advertisement for the nightclub was four pages in the personal section of the Sunday Times. Right. Um, because, as you can imagine, a gay venue in 1975, well, it was illegal, for starters. Yes. 
um, was a very secret thing. Um, the club did very well. Um, in fact, it must have done incredibly, incredibly well in the 70s and 80s. Um, I remember coming here for the first time, I would have been 16, with my girlfriend at the time, who was a bit older, who thought I might like this place. I think she might have had my number. Um, <laughs> um, she did have my number. We're still mates, yeah. actually. Yeah. Um, and her daughter turned out to be a lesbian, which is the greatest irony of it all. Anyway, <laughs> she she brought me here, um, and uh, yeah, it was it was something else. Um, and I think uh, for the listeners at home, it's um, worth putting what being gay meant in context yeah. through the seventies, eighties, even into the nineties. You know, it wasn't something that was spoken about. Mm. Um, and most gay people had to keep it under their hat. So this nightclub was a little secret place, um, and a lure unto itself. It was a it was a, a little fantasy world where a whole bunch of people could be themselves. The only place they could be the, themselves in this mm. town. I mean, there had been other venues along the way, some really great ones too. But Connections was has always been there, um, and in that time, it was yeah. It was a closed shop. Um, you really had to work very hard to get in the door. You had to convince the doorman that you were family, which was the actual term that was used. Right. Um, and, it, and then there's another interesting element to it that it's um, because it's a small town. In bigger cities, the gay community is sort of broken up into the young gay guys, the older gay guys, the lesbians. Everybody had their own little corner. Right. They didn't have all of that. So we were all kind of mushed in together. Um, Which imagine would have created a sense of community. Yeah, a wonderful community. It was, it was self-regulating. I mean, when you think about going out now and there, you know, on any given night, there are ten doormen working. We had mm. two, and they stood on the door, and basically they just stopped the shit from the street coming in and making sure that everyone inside was safe. And everyone inside was safe. Yeah. Because... They knew each other. Mm. They all watched out for each other. Yeah, I suppose that's different to um, any other nightclub where you're, you know, patrolling what goes on in the club. Mm. You're patrolling, making sure that outside doesn't come in. Yeah, the insides. A the inside's a safe place, completely. Yeah. And in fact, even talking to the cops, um, they said, "Oh yeah, we just left you guys alone. There's just no point." Um, mm. um, in fact, the only the only reason we ever came in was to actually check our notes on what was going on elsewhere because it was the only bar that was open late the two men could be sitting in a corner having a deep and meaningful conversation without people getting suspicious <laughs> so this was our spot to come back and debrief and debrief yeah and go well <laughs> I saw this and this, this went down um, it was a very live and let live place I mean it still is a very live and let live yeah. place and I, mean, I think that for me is is its greatest strength and funnily enough that business about us all being chucked in together has ended up being its strength um, you know, to this day, um, there was always an element of not gay people, or straight people, the term being, or, you know, and everything in between. Because if you found it, you'd go, this is great. This place is like, I can let my hair down, and nobody gives a damn, and yeah. there's no judgment, and it's a bit weird, but, um, you know, so there was always an element of people that came along. A dentist that owned its wife was or is Wendy Marshall, who owns L Fashion Boutique in Netherlands. Mm -hmm. So there was always a very strong fashion element in here then too. So you got mm -hmm. the, as well as the gay crowd, you got the arts crowd, the fashion crowd, all mixed in together. And then people that like the music, because we've always been known for having great music. Yeah. Um, there's a whole bunch of things that play into mm -hmm. what's given it, it, given it its longevity. Um, and I haven't even got to when, when I started. <laughs> so that was going to be yeah. my next thing. So tell me about how you ended up becoming the manager and then taking it on. Yeah, so in 1991, well, I'd come back to Perth. I'd started working for Matilda Bay Brewing Company after the America's Cup, which um, you've probably realised already was a seminal moment in oh, WA history. Um, Matilda Bay Brewing Company um, started sale and anchor in... Uh, Frio and I came back I was actually in the US for the America's Cup so I missed the whole shebang came back and um, Perth was still basking in the glow of that 
got some work down in Frio and I worked for them for quite a few years. I ended up working in a place called Oriel, which was in Bayview Terrace, Clemel. A small bar there. It was a bar that was small um, before we actually had small bars. Um, Dennis Marshall, the owner, um, used to come in every morning for breakfast. Well, actually, no, mid-morning, sit and read the paper. We got to know each other. My partner at the time, Peter, had knew Dennis, and he was a bit older than is a bit older than me. Um, had actually worked here in 1978. Right. Um, and at that stage, Connections had some serious competition. It was also the height of the AIDS crisis. Mm. So, uh, you know, that's a very long and involved story, but, you know, it really is our Holocaust. You know, we lost a generation mm. at that point. Unfortunately, Connections had been hit pretty hard and the management team a couple of people had had died a whole bunch of the performers had died many people were sick it was really a bit of a war zone and another nightclub had opened that was exceedingly popular and that's the the nature of nightclubs something else opens down the street and the whole crowd moves yeah that's exactly what had happened there were 20 people here at peak time on a Saturday night and Dennis said oh you know, we got to know each other as I was working in there and he knew that I knew Peter. We had, there was some friends that we all knew. Um, we got talking about this nightclub and actually I wasn't coming to Connections either. You know, I was one of those people at the club down, down the road. The road yeah. yeah. James, the guy that ran the, the place in the in the beginning, came back and was brought to, they, they met one day in the place and we got to know each other and he said... This guy, he'd be really good at running your nightclub, Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, and he, James actually knew Peter, Peter very well. So we came in as managers to what was really a, a dead a dead nightclub. Right. Um, it really was very sad, and he didn't, you know, he didn't want to spend too much money on paying us, and I was like, this is going to take a lot of work. And, and mm. we actually did the deal on the purchase of the place out of that situation... Um, it's quite yeah. It's a, it's a cool little side story that um, yeah. We we cut the deal. I said, look, you know, this is going to be really hard work, and it's not worth the money you want to pay. But if you'll give us a share of it, or sell us a share of it, um, we'll we'll give it a go. Um, but we'll set the price now before we've made it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that's actually how we got in because we set the price when the business was. Rooted, yeah, <laughs> and then then bought it when we when we built it up. So how old were you right about that time? Twenty. Oh, the maths again. Twenty-five. So that's quite an undertaking. Yeah, it was taking a share in a nightclub. At the I was end. a bit fearless, a bit, bit foolish, perhaps. But you know, it turned out well. Yeah, you know, I, I I still marvel at my business acumen at that one. I, <laughs> I don't consider myself a good businessman by any stretch of the imagination, and my wisdom around some of those decisions. Is less than good sometimes, but that was a really good one. <laughs> so, what did you do to turn it around? Then worked our guts out. Yeah, you know, looked at what was valuable in it and said, "Let's let's build on that." And that was that it felt so safe, that it had a sense of community, that it put on really good shows. It had a reputation for the best entertainment. That you know, nowhere in town had anything like it, and it had absolutely the best reputation for the best music and as far as I was concerned that wasn't going to stop any times yeah. you know, under, under me and, and it still does you know um, and I'm really proud of that it's like, you know, it, I always joke but it's not really a joke we really only do two things we play loud music and sell beer so the music should be really good and the beer should be cold it's <laughs> <laughs> as simple as that <laughs> it's not as simple as that it's yeah. far more complex but you know it really is what we do yeah. yeah, we put on a show, and people have a drink while they're doing it. Yeah, and put, is, on, is put that, on a good show. Yeah, because you know, certainly as I, I, I've lived in, um, I've lived in WA for seven and a half years, coming up to eight. So as I was doing my research, I, this place has been going for forty years. Same name, yeah, and everything. That, and that's that's something in and of itself. It is absolutely, and you know, clubs don't do that. They last for a couple of years, and they're the hottest thing in town. 
and then everybody and then something opens up down the road like happened to connections and everybody leaves and that just keeps happening you know that's yeah. the nature of of this sort of business that's what goes yeah. on um and Perth doesn't have you know it's not old enough to have the pub that's been there for 200 years or has got all this this backstory it had particularly back then you know it didn't really have any institutions I kind of went this could be an institution it kind of is already for the people in the know yes its value isn't that it's the only gay nightclub in town that's a monopoly and that's not going to be its value you know the world was going to change you know mm. the, the doors were opening and that's great it's wonderful for the gay community but, but where does that leave a business that services a community that's integrating so what is it we've got here well there's actually a whole heap of really great things in here and one of them is the fact that it's been here so long and it's traded so long as a nightclub mm. that doesn't happen you know I, I, quite a unique set of factors it's that a really interesting together. set of factors yeah and I, I always said I want to be the place that when you get into a cab at the airport you say look I'm in town for a couple of nights where should I go the cab driver goes oh you've got to go to this nightclub if you're going to go out if you want to go out late and you're going to listen to music and you want to go for a dance go to Connie's it's a gay club but if you're cool you'll have a great time yes that really doesn't matter yeah, and you know, we've ended up in a world where it doesn't matter. If you talk mm. to 20 year old kids, it doesn't matter. They don't give a damn. Mm. But how do you how do you make a business survive and grow Yeah, in that evolving marketplace, you know, um, you know, working on those other things and working on, you know, that live and let live of, of, of the gay community because they've been forced into ghettos. Mm. How do you then turn that into something that other people can share in without blowing the very thing that makes it valuable? Um, I'd like to think it's that you don't have to be gay to come in here, or lesbian, or queer, or transsex, or any of those other things in in the acronym. You just have to be tolerant of difference. Yes. Um, and for God's sake, and be comfortable with yourself. Yeah. It's a fucking disco. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. why should it be an issue? Like, yes. oh, he tried to chat me up. So take the compliment, say thank you, and move on. Yeah. Like, was so he... it's not for me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like you know, girls have had to put up with that for years. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> yes. and they've worked out a way to say politely, "Oh, no, thanks, mate." Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I'd like to think that um, there's a really nice little story about how you can make something where people can exist no matter despite the differences you know I'd like to think that in this little tiny little microcosm we could reflect that back into Northbridge we could reflect that back into Perth it's kind of a nice way to live your life to go well Mm. it doesn't matter about your colour your sex your race your you know Mm. your creed like just you know you do what you're doing you're not harming me I'm doing what I'm doing I'm not harming you let's get on with it then we're having a party Let's have a party together then. Bring it on. Indeed. I mean, I've had had numerous podcasts before where people have, have, you know, carried on with certain life scripts and expectations and then they've had almost this painful awakening from it and then it's like, oh, I now need to live true to myself. So I imagine, you know, what you're describing here is is a safe place to party, let your hair down and and live like that. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, you know, for me personally, that's not been an issue. You know, yeah. I, I, in many ways, I've led a, led a charmed life. My my sexuality. I mean, yeah, you know, telling my parents was a drama, and there were tears and all sorts of stuff. But actually, for me, I'm like, well, you know, and it was a somewhat organic process for me, um, um, rather than I am gay and I need to come out and tell the world. It was just like, well, I'd had girlfriends, I'd had boyfriends, and then I got to the point where I had more boyfriends than girlfriends, and here we all are. Yeah, was my story. That's not everybody's story and you know if there's one lesson I've learned in this place is everybody's story's different and some of them are just you know, and mm. their sexuality um, you know I've known gay guys you know my father to use an example I, I don't think he'd mind you know couldn't imagine having sex with a man but I've met men that have said that about women and I've had female partners. My current partner was married. My Peter, my partner in the nightclub, 
who was my mate, had too. But all of our experiences of that bit in between are different. And when I watch people in this space, it's like, oh, maybe actually if socialisation wasn't what it was, there might be a whole heap more movement in mm. the middle space. Yes. And it would seem that that might well be the case. Mm. I don't know how I feel about it. I just, I just kind of look at it and go, well, okay. Because certainly for kids these days, it's just not an issue. In fact, I think they're almost offended if it's considered an issue. I think the gay marriage stuff, if teenagers had been in on that, the numbers would have just been completely different. Because talking to the kids, whether they be the kids that I work with, you know, who are hmm. 18, 19, 20, and I've got a teenage son and you know he's 13, so and all of those ones in that gap in between, they're like, why are we even bothering with this? Yeah. Yeah, you know, of all of the of all of the groups, including the gays, as a very broad term, sorry, ladies, um, and all the others, um, I reckon it was the kids that were the ones that were the most. What the fuck? <laughs> like, what? Why is it? What, what are we doing this for? Can we yeah. just get on with it? I know. Yeah. If 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 a country like Ireland. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> no, go down that route then. Why, why should a young country like Australia have dramas? Yeah, yeah, and, a, and a, actually a country that has a, a very rich history of gay stuff. You know, our Mardi Gras in Sydney is huge. Yes. And, you know, when you look at so much of the the stuff that we've produced, the the, the art that we've produced along the way, you know, you look at uh, Priscilla and, you know, mm. that's 90s, but, you know, the adventures of Barry Humphreys, of, of uh, Barry McKenzie, which is early 70s, Camp as tits. It's like, yes. There's just so much camp in the real scene, in the Jermaine Greer, um, you know, Camille Pallia sort of way, queer, running, coursing through our veins, which is kind of ironic in our big butch Australian psyche. Yeah. That this thing kind of has run parallel for a very long time. How did we not kind of realise that this was very real in... Yeah, this is a thing. In who we are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just I've always found that interesting, but it's lovely that it it gets expression in this place. Because you know, mm. so. mm, you know I, I could imagine over the years, you get to see so many different interesting people oh, shit, yeah. and interact with them. Yeah, I mean, it's like this podcast of yours. Yeah, times a thousand, you know. Times a thousand, yeah. Yeah, you know, every night. Mm. Yeah, a thousand people come hit through. What sort of changes day. have you seen in your clientele? Oh, huge, huge. Um, you know. I mean, I think the key thing is that that business about it being a closed shop and now having to work in the open market. Mm. Um, yeah, it'd be very easy to just go, well, it's not a gay club anymore, just turn the music on and let whoever in. I, I think that would... I think it'd be self-defeating. I think mm. the very value of it is that it, that it, it, it retains culture. And, I, I, and heritage. And heritage, yeah. You know, I think I, we did a really interesting thing when when I started um, rebuilding um, Northbridge some fifteen years ago. I, I I was asked to sit on the board of the Northbridge History Project, and there was a state government initiative, and it was historians doing it, and all that stuff's gone back into the into the library, and in fact, ends up in part of the new museum. I found it very interesting that at that time they had sat down and went, you know, because Northbridge is kind of the the meeting po- meeting point for all of the culture coming into this city. Mm. Um, so many different groups come into the to Northbridge as their first step, or it was home for a reason. Be it the Greeks that owned this place originally, the Italians, the Chinese, so on and so forth. So when they did the history project, they. Um, they, what's the word I want? Um, they basically made a list of all of the cultural groups that were relevant to the history of Northbridge. And it was the Greeks, the Chinese, the Italians, the Jews, um, the Vietnamese, um, the prostitutes, the artists, and the gays. <laughs> you know? And at that point, I was like, hmm, we're a culture. And I, I, I worked with some really cool people within that, and 
and they ask the questions about the gay and lesbian community in terms of culture. And what we realised there was actually we had culture in the mm. real sense. We kind of worked it through and we had everything on the list mm. except for cuisine. Cuisine. <laughs> yeah, you know, we had our own music, we had our language, we had our places we went and celebrated. This is that temple is for one of our yeah. word. And this was crucial in this town to that story of this culture within the broader culture of the city. Mm. Um, it really made me go, oh. Was a, a, you know, I think maybe you asked... a sense before. of pride about that. Yeah, a sense of pride in it. But it, you said, was there a light bulb moment? If anyone, that was it. Yeah. And it was at that time that the gay community was just kind of flourishing and the world was going, oh, there's all this stuff. So how do you hang on to a culture whilst integrating, particularly when you don't have bloodlines. Yes. So I've referred to it as the Kylie Kwong effect, that somebody, say Greek, first generation, doesn't want to speak Greek, don't, don't, don't speak wog to me mum, don't put wog food in my lunchbox, any of that stuff. But usually the next generation goes back and asks grandma to show her the recipes, or him the recipes, yep. that she made, learns Greek, and goes back to the original island to find out what it was like. Yep. And they pull their culture back. How yep. do we, as a culture, do that and hang on? Because I don't give it to my children, because I don't make gay children. No. <laughs> I might do. You can't put gay in a lunchbox, can you? Yeah, and you know, this place was actually that line. Mm. for this city in many ways. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Because a lot of gays and lesbians choose to discard that culture in many ways in their rush to integrate. Yes. Who comes behind them and comes back and asks Grandad, well, what's your story? What do you, what do you know about who I am and where I'm from? Yeah. Mm. Sorry, that was a very big answer to it. Oh, oh it's fascinating. <laughs> and at what point did you start to see sort of non-gay people start to come to the club? They were always here. They were always here. And that's something that, that, that people don't quite realise. They were always part of it. Again, mm. in that, because we were mushed in together and the links that the place had to other, other communities, so the fashion and arts community and... Know, Northwood being the centre of the arts here, and other marginalised communities. So, connections had punks in here, it had goths in here, it had all of those people that didn't fit anywhere else. Oh, yeah, we'll so have you. Yeah. Yeah. Express themselves. <laughs> yeah, 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 there are the goths over there in the corner, you know. And it was quite, you know, there, there were times it was very funny that it was there's like this, this pot of people here, and this group, mm. and this corner, and this. And, but, hey. and I, again, I, you know, I'd have to say that that's been part of our business plan. It's like, well, let's keep that up because. And that's what makes it fun, like, to come out and say, what the fuck? <laughs> Who are all these people? Um, yeah, you know, at, at, at four o'clock. Friday nights particularly. Saturday night, people make a plan to go out. Friday nights, people end up out. Sometimes late, yes. late Friday night can feel like the bar scene from Star Wars. You know, oh. that, you know that bar they go into yes. and there are all those creatures? Yeah, yeah. But that's great. Like, yeah, it's that end of work. A couple of beers yeah, after work turns into more couple yeah. of beers after work turns out into... Oh, I ended up at Connection. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's like, where the fuck did this group of people come from? And like from? you said before we started recording this, everyone's got a, oh, I ended up at Connection yeah, story. Yeah, which is great. And, you know, we've got a reputation for being the place that's great at the end of the night, late at night, yeah. and when everything else starts to close down, yeah. you get 10 people from here and 20 from here and 10 people from there and half a dozen from there, you kind of, mm, it's going to be a pretty mixed bag. Indeed. <laughs> but if you can manage that and you can you can have that lovely live and let live attitude well it's great you know mm. it's better than telly <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, it's, it's entertaining you know? it is and you, and you know I'd like to think if we go back to that bigger story the best way to understand other people people of other cultures to you whatever that difference may be is to just meet them yeah you know it just humanises them <clears throat> and lighten the bar where you're dancing and da-da-da, you meet random people. 
you know, and you do meet random people, Can and then imagine. you go, oh, he's all right, he's not bad at all, you know. I'd like to think that that contributes to to a more tolerant yeah. view all round. Mm. So. What's it like on a day-to-day basis running this place? <laughs> <laughs> oh, if you could only get the look on my face on podcast. Um. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, um, most most of us who uh, have been here, we've turned up, we've had a couple of beers, it's all going off, it's all great, it's all fun, da-da-da-da-da, but that doesn't just happen. It doesn't like. just happen at all. <laughs> so there are 90 staff. Yeah. And, I mean, today there's only a couple of us around, but most days there would be... A dozen, twenty people in here every day of the week, hmm. or every weekday. You know, yeah. we're currently sitting in an office that has four desks in it. Four people sit here and pay the bills, call the plumber that, you know, that, you know, because somebody threw another beer bottle down the toilet on Saturday because he's not going to come out of on Saturday night. So Monday morning he's in here. You know, there's a lot of stock to bring in. Yeah, the place has to be cleaned. You know, we're lucky there's not drag queens rehearsing, you know, on, on a good day, we can call it that. There were six guys dressed in board shorts and T-shirts. Explorer socks and high heels. They've yet to explain to me <laughs> why that's a thing. It's just... Board shorts, T-shirts, Explorer socks and high heels. The Explorer... Oh, big thick socks and high heels. It's because those high heels hurt like crazy. Yeah. And if they have to rehearse in them, they put their big socks on. Right, so they're protect, um, protecting their feet for the, it's a, yeah, for the big it's show. A, it's a picture worth, yeah. worth seeing. But yeah, if you ha- if we'd be sitting here and listening to that song on repeat yeah, for an hour and a half. Getting it right, getting it right. Until they're getting it right. You know, those, those shows take a lot of work. Yeah. There'll be two guys up in the... Or a guy there, actually, it's a guy and a girl at the moment, up in the lighting box doing lights for that. Because mm. essentially it's a little mini theatre mm. as well. Um, there's a lot of work that goes into getting it up and running um, and the number of times people have said to me over the year you've got a great job you just stand around with a beer in your hand or a glass of wine having a chat I'm <laughs> like you realise I've done 40 hours before I had this beer and I'm mm. still here mm. um, and yeah then there's another whole team that comes on overnight we're open Wednesday to Saturday Sunday this weekend it's a long weekend um, and in fact when I started we were open six nights a week every right. week of the year um, it takes a, a vast crew, and you know it's it is like theatre. It's 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 supposed to look effortless. It's supposed to look like it just happened, and everyone thinks it just happened. It's like mm. mad. <laughs> of <course> it didn't <laughs> just happen, you know. And there's all of these people pedalling really fast behind the scenes to keep it all in motion. And it really is, you know, overnight. It's keeping it all in motion. Yes, there's the barman serving you. Yeah, there's mm. that DJ. But there'll be a couple of people behind the scenes. Mm. There'll be some people literally behind the scenes back of house in the stage there'll be people putting on makeup in a corner um, and there'll be some poor bastard trying to get that beer bottle out of the toilet <laughs> mm. and you yourself st- still DJ as well don't you yeah I do um, and yeah, I mean I love the music the music's the, the, the basis of it for me um, and it's a good way for me to be here of a night I kind of need a task to do because then other than standing on the well otherwise you do end up standing around with a beer in your hand you yeah. turn into an alcoholic which is a very easy thing in this this game mm. and also you know I've been at the front line of it and much as I love all of those crazy people they can be hard work uh, and it gets harder and harder later into the night to have a job to go back to and mm. some bar between me and them isn't a bad thing because mm. most of you talk bullshit by then <laughs> yeah we're all 10 12 beers up and talking dribble yeah yeah you know yeah so the number of times I've driven home going I've had a hundred conversations tonight and I haven't learnt or heard anything <laughs> <laughs> how do you keep yourself um, well sane but you know fit and healthy given the fact that you know was it four days out of seven it's in effect a nocturnal yeah work. I mean my sleep's shot Mm. Um, I got a partner who, who, although he has a day job, doesn't sleep well either. So, sleeping is always an issue in our house. Um, I you've been doing this a long time. I've been doing it a long time. I don't do really late nights anymore. The right. latest I do is two, and I'm actually very good at just turning the switch off and walking away. I don't stick around for a couple more drinks and a couple more drinks. Even if I've got mates here, yeah. I do the phantom. I usually actually go out the back door. Right. Um, just so I don't get caught in it. Oh, don't go. I oh, can't have a beer with us. It's like, yeah. yeah. You're out. No. I've just worked. I'm done. Yes. Uh, I've, I've always been very lucky to be able to do that. 
um, to be able to stop drinking, um, to be able to just walk away from it, and I'm also able to just go home and take my gear off and just go to bed. Right. Um, I don't need two hours of unwinding of you know, and that yeah. sort of stuff. Um, and I also, I live down on the beach. Um, yeah. I have a very different life away from here. I, I'm very aware that this is a trap. I don't want to be nocturnal. Um, I've never been that nocturnal guy. Mm. And the one time I lived closer was great. It was so easy to just get into work. But I found I was coming in here all the time. And that they'd call me. Yes. Whereas I'm half, around, half an hour away and they don't call me. Mm. You can deal with it yourself. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I do. I get up. I go to the beach. I swim. I work out. I, I do actually eat relatively healthily. I drink too much. But I actually don't tend to drink at home. Right. You know, I don't do that, get home from work, have a glass of wine, as much as most people do. Mm. I, I do. I can't say I don't. I like, yeah. a, drink. I like a drink. <laughs> but I'm, I'm aware that if I can drink at work, drinking at home as well is probably dangerous. It's probably dangerous. <laughs> yeah. I'm lucky. I'm lucky. I, I, I love a drink, but I do have a really good off switch just, that it just comes. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah otherwise you could end up like that. Yeah, and look, lots the fat of, kid in the t- in the toy shop. In the yeah, shop. yeah, yeah, because it's all here. Um, and I do love to. I particularly love to drink when I'm DJing. Mm. Um, it's just nice to have a drink and, and do it. And and we're all much better at doing it when we're a bit pissed. <laughs> well, yeah, of course. You're a legend, aren't you? <laughs> it sounds bad. Oh, I'm great. I'm awesome right <laughs> I'm now. Awesome. I am awesome now. <laughs> what are some? Of your, what have been some of your like top funny times here? you can oh, recall that, off the top of your head that I can recall that can go to where um, <laughs> I've seen a lot of stuff and um, people often say you know oh my god you've seen me at my worst and I've seen most of the town at their worst um, what have I seen I look I, I've been asked this question so many times and I, I never have a good answer to mm. it um, I've seen all sorts of crazy shit you know People dressed up, people doing ludicrous things, sex in all sorts of odd places, um, <laughs> music requests. Can you play something funky? I was playing James Brown at the time. <laughs> really? Two twenty-year-old girls. Are like, this is James Brown. I think the word was coin for him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> could you play Kylie? Could, could you play Kylie Minogue? I'm playing her right now. Oh, not this one. <laughs> You're brilliant. Yeah. What have I said? Oh, I've just. I don't, I don't have, I don't have one yeah. story, you know. You know I, I've got this lovely mashup of all of these scenes of, you know, people just having fun or madness, you know, mm. um, pushing through a crowd where just everybody's just at you and the music going. Um, you know, I said before about DJing to a room full of people in this main room. I don't really DJ in the main room anymore. Standing in that DJ box, watching a whole room bouncing in time. The music yeah. you're playing is is something pretty special. Yeah, I've heard that from many a DJ. Yeah, it's wonderful. It really is. Um, yeah, and when the, they 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 rise up, and it, you know, it is it's tribal. It's really tribal. If mm. you, you know, you think about when you're on a dance floor and you're all dancing together. You know, it's, when I was saying about that culture thing, you know, this is our temple. You know, this is yeah. this is dancing around the campfire, sort of mm. sort of real visceral. Yeah, letting loose. You know, mm. even mm. people that say they don't dance when they get to that point I ride into it they're dancing and they're loving it yeah. mm. and there's an energy and it moves them and yeah. you'll see that in many indigenous yeah, yeah. cultures and we do that you know white people aren't very good at that stuff yeah um, without biting our bottom lip yeah yeah <laughs> or quite a few drinks <laughs> yeah um, and in this community you know it's um, you know this was where where that happened um, actually there's a you know can I remember a particular vision I you don't see it quite so much now, but you know, I, I think most people would imagine a gay club with a, a, a sea of guys with their shirts off. You know, that's kind of the picture people have, isn't it? It's, well, like the, it, it's kind of... the Blue Oyster Bar from uh, <laughs> Police Academy films. <laughs> I, I hope we're a little bit classier yeah. than that. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, that, that's very real. It was much more real through the 80s into the 90s because it was much more about men and, uh, you know, the, the, the numbers in here were very skewed. It was 70, 30 men, women. Yeah. You know, that changed into the 90s. But I I remember a really... It gets hot, really hot in here, as you can imagine. That many people dancing. A um, hot summer's night and a dance floor full of people 
you know, sweating and most of the guys with their shirts off. But in the middle of it, two women dancing together, topless. And nobody batting an eyelid. Mm. They just, everyone else had their shirts off. They did too. So will I. Tits out. And it wasn't, yeah, look at our tits, yeah, we have this. They were like, well, you got to get your shirts off. We're just taking our shirts off too. Mm. And everyone was just... Cool. That for me, I think if there was a one visual memory I have of this place of what I think it stands for, that's it. That, yeah, a room full of, of people, a dance floor full of people, men, women, gay, straight, all of that, two girls, topless, and it was in the time before phones, you know? Nobody, oh. nobody was taking photos. Yes. You know, if that happened now, everybody would be taking a fucking photo. Yeah. No, and, and that's... How's that changed things, actually? Massively. So they, um I hadn't thought of that as a question until it ah, just came up. Yeah. So, um, I, I actually, it was part of my speech for the 40th birthday, um... When I started at Connections in 91, there was a camera ban in here. You couldn't bring yeah. cameras in here because so many people in here couldn't have their photo taken. Not just wouldn't, couldn't, you know? You might have been a, a high-flying lawyer, you might have run business, you might have been a high court judge, you might have been a... you know. And those people were all here, you, you know? Um, television personality, whatever. Mm. They didn't want their photos taken. They just... You know, yeah. so so there's very little footage of this place yeah. from those early days. Um, you know, what we've got is is absolutely treasured. Um, and if someone pulled out a camera, I'd go over and say, "I'm sorry." You know, you know the the gay newspaper was allowed to take photos, and somebody had to get permission to take photos, and mm. they had to get permission from everybody in the shop. I told that story at the 40th birthday a couple of years back standing on the stage and I said and you know the irony of it is, is as I look up now most of you have got your cameras up you're all filming this that's how much our world has changed mm. we've gone from this room and this is the old room the original room has gone from being a place where cameras were banned to a place where everybody films everything so part of that being a space to be free and let loose it's given away mm. because you don't have not the anonymity but you don't you're not as free because somebody's going to take a photograph of it and post it it's on Instagram or something yeah again the kids don't give a damn mm. I mean they're all very quick to say oh could you take this photo down because it, usually it's because they're making a stupid face and they don't look pretty because they haven't got their they <laughs> as opposed to being seen at connections not yeah 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 it's all yeah. that um, you know, we have a, a photographer in the place and we have a photo booth in the corner. The photo booth is probably the most popular spot in the entire venue and every night it is filled with photographs. Um, quite a few of them that can't be put on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> Superb. Yeah. So what does, the, um, what does the future hold for Connections? Oh, God... What does the future have connections? Look, three, I think three to five years. So. I think it's going to be more of the same. I think it'll, um, you know, interestingly, if we go back to that idea of the kid sitting on their grandfather's knee to find out what the story is, this bunch of kids get a lot of flat, but actually, and you know, they don't care about a lot of things, but actually, they do care about a lot of things. And what I found very interesting is how aware of that, politically aware of that stuff they are, and how they are asking about the history, how they, and actually how they want to reclaim their space. They want to be accepted out in the world, but our spaces need to be safe. Mm. So, okay, so you want to bring all of your non-gay friends into the space, but he's not allowed to. And how does that work? Mm. You know, If you bring in five of your friends that aren't gay, and everybody does that. There's going to be five times as many people that aren't gay yes. in the gay bar as yes. that. So how do we manage that stuff, you know? Mm. But, you know, we've got a party on this Sunday with a whole bunch of sexually and gender diverse kids who are making really interesting stuff and doing performance art and really, you know, pulling up work that, you know, yeah, it looks like some stuff I've seen before, but reinventing it themselves and making it new and music's doing the same thing you know 
Someone said populate itself decades mm. back. It has. Yes. And it continues to do so and cannibalises itself. And if we go back then to that sampling thing, culture's doing that. You know, it's bending and twisting. These kids really know about music that's five years old, ten years old, twenty years old. They're really into it. They've got access to it. And yeah. they want to draw on that stuff. So they want to draw on the gay culture stuff too. What that weaves as a as a news story is as interesting for me as the that story of what music's doing. Mm. You know, it's um, yeah, people steal stuff all the time. Yes, cultural appropriation, art appropriation, all that's happening all over. What it's about is making something new out of that old stuff. You know, not just stealing it. It's like, yeah. what did you do with that Marvin Gaye sample? to make it something new and better? Or did yeah. you just steal Marvin Gaye shit? Yeah. Just, <laughs> Please yeah. don't do that. Did you just creative. Yeah. yeah. Or, or did, you, did you butcher it? Yeah. And, you know, who's who's to decide, you know? I mean, I could go on about certain rappers that <laughs> just butcher things. Yeah. Um, but other people would say that they're creative genius. Gen, genii. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And what about the next three to five years for Tim? I don't know. I never thought I'd be doing this. Um, I never thought I'd be doing it in the first place and I certainly didn't think I'd be doing it this long I I have up and down downs about I, I have a love-hate relationship with it I want to get rid of it I want to, I want to leave I can imagine I'm not quite sure. did you sell a bloody place? Yeah. I love the place yeah I'm not quite sure what else I'd do um, mm. yeah. I'd love to think I could retire from it no, I've just come back from from, from, from travelling and I did. I think I said to you I, um, I'd like to be a gentleman traveller traveller what's <laughs> a gentleman traveller mean? <laughs> I don't know I think um, it's just I was, well, I was in Rome, so if you were going to be a gentleman traveller anyway, you know, I was looking at wonderful culture and art and, mm. and museums and things and then stopping on the way and having a Campari at a roadside cafe. That, oh, that, that's quite nice, you know. I could do the same at a, an English pub all the way down, you know, boat down the Thames, up the Nile. Indeed. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to travel a lot, but um, I'm not very good at roughing it, so I suppose that's, <laughs> that's the gentleman yeah. traveller. I'm a city boy. I, like, I really like the city mm. and... Um, I love travelling in cities. Um, you know, I'd like to think that I could get some sort of balance around that. You know, I, I'm lucky. I have, because the hours are odd and you can take your, your time off when you want. Yeah. You know, I have actually got to travel quite a lot o- o- over my life, mm. um, which is good. Um, yeah, I can't do this forever. Um, but I've got a really great team. Um, and that's another thing. I work with so many young people. It's really inspiring. Yeah. I love it. You know, I, I always said I was old enough to be there their father um, and then one of the boys actually a couple of years ago said well actually you're older than my mother um, <laughs> um, and actually you're closer to my grandmother's age <laughs> I was like oh shit, shit. <laughs> yeah um, but it's great working with them you know it's wonderful to to be around that youth mm. crazy making um, and my dad said once, oh, you'll never understand until you have kids of your own. It's like, oh, dad, I've had hundreds of the fuckers. And they got, they got 90. Yes. <laughs> and, a new, and a new set every season. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and yeah, as you can imagine, um, they're, the, um, they're the problem children. They're an interesting bunch, let's just say, you know. Yes. You know, you know because they are such a mixed bunch, they, they come with a bit of baggage. <laughs> it takes some managing. Yeah, they take some managing. But, you know, again, that's that's part of what's... You know that that's got its ups and its downs. I, I I can't work in an office. I do, I've done it twice in my life. And I'm fucking hopeless at it. I really am. I just I can't sit still. It's not natural stuff. <laughs> no, and it's not. Yeah, you know, it doesn't feed you. And being here feeds me in, in many ways. Mm. You know, being around all of these people and going. You know, I, I'm you know I'm a I'm a white middle class boy from the western suburbs. I mean, you know, I, I don't have I don't I don't purport to be anything greater than that. But I've surrounded myself with all sorts of people. Mm. And let them run and be creative. Let them run and, and, and watch them. It's like, hmm. You know, it's shown me a lot of ways to do different things and a lot of different ways of looking at the world. Mm. You know, I reckon that's a good thing. You know, mm. That in itself is a, a grand adventure. You know, it's good at travelling. <laughs> mm. What have you learned about yourself through this journey? What have I learned about myself? How much I like that. Um, yeah, you know that. You know, I can be a terrible misanthrope sometimes. Oh, these fucking cancer. 
actually do really like people and I do like to hear their stories and I, I, just, I like to watch their stories I like to watch right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's true I, you know sometimes I uh, say like, oh I don't want to get involved in your shit but just can I just sit over here and watch what's going down yeah. you know that's yeah that's what I really like um, yeah it's fascinating it really is mm. so you really are quite a people person yeah and yet I love travelling by myself yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, pe- I'm, people per- I'm a people person at a distance does that make me sound creepy? <laughs> Everyone needs a yin to their yang. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I really need my alone time. I, I'm very, very fond of being by myself. Yeah. Uh, one of the questions I do often ask guests is, what what do you do to bring yourself back and, and ground yourself? So obviously being at the beach and, and having your own time is, yeah. is key yeah. to you. Yeah, you know, and I, I actually um, I read a lot. Um, I do a lot of stuff that people would be surprised that a nightclub guy does, you know. Such as? Well, you know. I'm really into into reading, um, and I read quite heavily. I, you know, I'm, I'm a history buff. I'm, I love languages. I am, yeah. You know, I'm actually really, really bookish. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I suppose that's the, the the broadest way to to, to describe it. I'm, I'm bookish, and yeah. You know, when I sit, you know, I say I get out to the beach and I go to the gym and stuff. I'm hardly sporty by any stretch of the imagination. But I couldn't survive if I had to stay in this space in this. This nether world, this nether world of, of of this nether nocturnal world, mm. um, I just couldn't, I couldn't survive if that if that was all there was, I'd go bonkers. Mm. Um, I want to get out there and, and yeah. That was I was certainly curious to know the answer to that question. Yeah, I, I, look, I think there are some people that are that are that, but I think most people it burns them out. Mm. Um, Peter, my business partner, who was my my other partner because we don't have good language around that um, for 20 years um, was much more nocturnal than me and I did when we were running it together just the two of us I would do the days into the early evening and then hand over to him and he'd do the late nights right and then he wouldn't get up till 10 o'clock 11 12 o'clock you know Um, and he still doesn't even though he doesn't do he doesn't work in in the business anymore Um, you know he was much more nocturnal he likes he likes being up then um, that doesn't work for me, but he also got very, very burnt out by it. Yes. Um, yeah. And I think that's 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 more often than not the story of people that work in this industry. Mm. You either burn out or you find a way to do, do it on your terms. Yes, I imagine you have to. Yeah. If you could go back and uh, just have a quick word with Tim just before he's about to take on Connections Nightclub and give him a piece of advice, what would it be? Hold on tight. <laughs> I don't. I wouldn't change it. Um, yeah, I made some dumb mistakes. Um, I've lost my shirt. I've pawned my rings. I've done all the dumb things. But I wouldn't change it. So you know, it's what it is. It's life. Um, what would I have told myself? No, I would have been hold on tight. I don't think anybody anybody could have been prepared for the ride that this has been um, yeah hold on tight <laughs> superb and and finally for the listeners out there if you if you sort of take stock of what we've been talking about if you've got like Tim's little message on life what sort of what would that be it is what it is you know take it you know my um, my mantra is in everything in this life there is a lesson to be learned or an adventure to be had. Um, it's true, you know. Like, take what you can from whatever happens to you. So, bad shit's going to happen, but good shit's going to happen. It's not all good. You can't, you can't see the dark without the light. Well, you can't see the light without the dark, you know. Um, but there's something in all of it for you. Um, I did once say that at a management meeting, that that was my mantra, that um, in everything in this life there is a lesson to be learned or an adventure to be had and one of the guys turned around to me and said well yeah Tim but lately it feels like every lesson's been an adventure and every adventure's been a lesson <laughs> <laughs> how did you respond to that? and I was like yeah. you're so right indeed so there we go Tim it's been absolutely fantastic talking to you today <laughs> it's been uh, highly amusing and hugely insightful you know 
I, I, I'm one of many people here in Perth who's got a connection story. <laughs> Been out and ended up here and this, that, and the other. But to hear the story behind it and, and to hear its history, um, you know, as an institution, as a piece of heritage and the culture that comes with it, it's been um, it's been truly a treat. So, thank you very much. Ah, thank you. I'm more than happy to do it. It was, it was great to do. Indeed. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers.